All right, so I have some good news and I have some bad news. As you notice, maybe, I don't have my mic because it's, it, it's been acting up. So we've been trying to fix that. So that's the bad news. The good news is, is you get to just look at one spot today versus me racing around the congregation here. So that's the good news. So I'm giving your eyes a break until we get this fixed. Uh, but I kind of feel a little jittery myself up here. Um, either way, I'm very excited about this sermon series that we're starting today. One, because I've tried already twice to kick off this series for the last two weeks, and for whatever reason, I haven't been able to do that. And a part of me in moments like that wonder, God, is there a reason why that's happening that I just don't know yet? Is this the enemy? Is this you just waiting for the right moment to have this message? And I'd like to believe that that is the case, that today is the right mess the day to be preaching this message to you. And you might not know much about it. You might be walking in for the first time and saying, what are you talking about, Pastor Kevin? Well, we are starting a new series today called Finding Peace in a World of Offense. Now, this series it has been one that I've been praying about for some time. In fact, it was in January that I started getting the ideas to do this message. And you might ask why. Well, because I believe that this series speaks to the struggle of our day, that we deal with issues of feeling offended and finding peace in our, pardon me, in our lives. You know, it was a few years back that um, I was a broke seminary student, freshly married with Michaela, and it was movie night for us. We, we did pretty good that every Friday night we were going to go on a date night. And if you're married or dating, I suggest trying to pick some time to connect every week and, and have a special day together. So it was, our, it was our time to be able to enjoy a night out. But the problem was, is I was really broke, and I typically we would go to the discount theater and in order to afford our tickets. But a new movie was coming out that my wife really wanted to see, and she couldn't wait for it to hit the budget theater in our area. So we tried to scrape our pennies together, and it meant not being able to split a burrito at Chipotle that night. But we scraped enough pennies together, and we had enough money to go and buy two tickets to this movie. So we walk in, and and I'm smuggling in my candy, which I'm sure none of you ever do. And uh, I'm smuggling in my candy, and I think to myself, I could really use a water. And uh, so I go, to, I go to the line, right? And we've all seen it, right? Like five bucks for a bottle of water. And no thank you is what I think. So at that point, I go and form into the line, and I'm waiting about 10 minutes in this line to ask for a cup of water. So finally, it's my turn, and the guy calls me forward, and I say, uh, may I have a water, please? And he's trying to sell me the $5 bottle of water, and I say, oh, I don't want that. Could I just get a cup of water? And with all the indignation in the world, he hands me this world's smallest cup that I've ever seen in my life, and he just gives it to me, and I go, can I get a bigger cup? <laughs> and the guy just looks at me and goes, sorry, we don't hand out those other cups to, to, to non-paying customers. <laughs> so he hands me the world's smallest cup, which is probably worth two sips, 
at best. And, and I say, well, could you put water in it at least? And he says, you could fill it up yourself at the water fountain over there. So I walk away from this moment thinking to myself, I just wanted a cup of water. And, and I'm offended in some ways by, by this encounter. Like, I couldn't just get a cup of water. Um, and I remember my wife leaning over to me, patting me on the back and say, saying to me, Kevin, I think you've been in seminary too long and you're getting way too used to all the kind little Christian people that go to seminary school. <laughs> but it's so easy in life, isn't it not, to feel offended at times, to allow certain things to get under our skin, and maybe we have good reasons to feel that way. Maybe there's reasons that you have experienced in feeling offended at different times, but to say the least, offense is a problem of our day. We are struggling as a country, as a world, and being able to handle and deal with offense. In fact, this is so known that new research is coming out to be able to make the point that offense is a growing problem, that people are feeling more offended easier, they're, they're getting easily offended, as well as offense is being given to other people just readily. So, Pastor Kevin, why do a series on this? Well, you see, I believe that as Christians, we are called to live a little bit differently. You know, I want people to be able to see my life and to see your lives and see people of peace. Because, you see, here's the beautiful thing about growing in our walk with Jesus is that the closer we get to forming ourselves into the image of Christ, the better the world around us can see him through our lives. Which means that if the world is struggling with issues of offense and finding peace, then guess guess what you get to do? You get to be that person of peace to others. But I don't want this to just be an opportunity to reflect peace to others, which is very important. I also want this to be an opportunity for us to be able to experience peace for ourselves. If I were to ask you, could you use more peace in your life, I'm sure without a doubt every single hand in the room would go up. Because we've all experienced times in our lives where we have felt a lack of peace. Maybe we're in a situation where it doesn't feel like the finances are matching the bills and we feel a lack of peace. Maybe we're in a situation with a relationship and there's tension there and we don't feel peace. For whatever the reason might be, whether it's a health condition, whether it's finances, whether it's a relationship, whether it's just, you know. Peace is something that at times can feel hard to obtain and to have. But yet if we look at scripture and we look at the pages of the Bible, what do we oftentimes see associated with the name of Jesus? That he is what? The prince of So if Jesus is the prince of peace, if we call ourselves uh, call ourselves in our church peace, Mennonite community church. 
then I think peace is something that we ought to experience more often than not. That if we truly believe that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us and that the fruits of the Spirit are going to bring peace into our lives, then peace should be something that we're known by. Amen? So why then do many of us, both inside and outside of the church, both in our lives and the lives of others, struggle to experience God's peace. I hope to explore that a little bit more today with this new series. And to help us do that, I want us to look into the life of an individual who I believe had to deal heavily with offense, and that is the life of Joseph. So if you would, please turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to be reading through uh, portions of 37, mainly in 37 today. We'll start off with verse 3 here. And it should be on the screen as well. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Now, I don't know about you, maybe you know this story, maybe you don't. Maybe you've seen that wonderful animation movie that tells the the story of Joseph. But either way, it's important for all of us to be on the same page here. So we read this verse 3, this portion of scripture that says that Israel basically loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, and he starts to bestow on him these special items. Okay, if you don't know who Israel is, it's not just a nation, it's not just a state, but in history, it was actually a person. You see, there's patriarchs within scripture who are known as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These people are very important because these were the forefathers or the fathers of what we understand as the Jewish people today. So it was Jacob who eventually was given the name Israel. And it's this individual, Jacob, who had many sons, who had 12 sons. And of all of these 12 sons are where you get the 12 tribes of Israel. One of the sons was named Joseph, and scripture here tells us what? That Jacob, or Israel, favored who? Joseph. Now, this is very important to know because if you knew your history and your scriptures well, then you would notice that Jacob or Israel favors Joseph, but in Israel's life, he suffered the same issue. You see, it says in scripture that Isaac favored one of his children. You see, Isaac had two boys, and one of them was named Jacob, and the other was named Esau. And and Jacob was specifically favored by his mother, and Esau was specifically favored by his father Isaac. So much so that they tried to devise a plan where Jacob would steal the blessings of his father. 
So it's really interesting here because Israel would have grown up experiencing what it's like to be in a home where favoritism was dished out disproportionately. He would have known what it was like to have been the least favorite child in a family. And yet, what does he do here? He follows in the same sins of his father, and he offers favoritism to who? His son, Joseph. Now, I find that really interesting, because if you read verse 3 in all of its entirety, what are the reasons why that, that Israel favors Joseph? We're given a reason here. He favors Joseph because of what? Because Joseph was born to him at his old age. Now, I think that's really interesting, and it's worth taking a moment to look at, because oftentimes, good things that are happening in our lives, good blessings that we can experience, can be turned into what? Into wrongful action. He took something that was a blessing to him, being able to have a child at an older age and then turned it into what? A sin of favoritism where he favored this child over other child over other children of his. Now, I don't know about you, but the sin of favoritism is something that still exists today. Many people have experienced this, whether being in their own family or in relationships. We've all felt the feeling of being left out, not cared for enough, not seen, and it hurts. So as you can imagine, this probably had an effect on who? On Joseph's brothers specifically. You see, we need to be careful, though, as people and not allow ourselves to become so prideful to think that the sins of our fathers won't become our own sins. In fact, it's interesting how oftentimes the things that we despise in life can become the things that we actually do in life. Because for whatever reason, these moments produce blind spots for us where we end up becoming the thing that we hate. And if you look at history, you see story after story after story of these things happening. So here we have a clear example of two generations falling into the same exact sin. Even though Israel had reasons to be happy, he allowed those good blessings in his life to turn into what? Into a sin of favoritism, which should be a reminder for all of us to count our blessings, but at the same time to make sure that the things that we are grateful for in life, that they are in some ways being stewarded well, that they're being tempered well, and that we're not taking the blessings that we have in life and using them wrongly. 
It's so important for us to get these things right because look what happens after verse 3. It says in verse 4, When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, what does it say here? Say it with me. They hated him. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Isaac's, or pardon me, Israel's favoritism of Joseph turned into an offense to his brothers. Because you see, this is a belief that I have, and it really is the big idea for today, that sins turn peace into chaos. Sin turns peace into chaos. I don't think we appreciate that as much as we should. Because here's the thing, I think at all points of our lives, whether young or old, we like to justify the things that we know are wrong because we believe deep down inside that we need those things or that those things are good for us. But in reality, when we look at our lives, every single time, whether in, in presently or in the future, sin will always bring chaos and destruction. I have yet to meet a person that has come up to me and said, you know what, Pastor, my life got so much better when I started lying more. Pastor Kevin, my life got so much better when I had an affair with with my spouse. It, It just, that was really the turning point for happiness for me. Sin always brings chaos. And we don't always talk about it enough. If anything, we try to, in our present day and age, because we deal with issues of offense, we are afraid, if anything, to say things that might be perceived as hurtful to others. You see, this series isn't about how to always be nice. If anything, being nice isn't actually very nice. Because sometimes being nice means allowing somebody to live in a delusion of sin. Jesus, as I've been reminded repeatedly, wasn't always nice, but he was always kind. And sometimes doing the kindest thing is being open and honest with those around you. But we need to be careful in realizing that our sins will have an effect on others. That our sins are not just going to harm ourselves, that, but that all sins bring chaos because they harm ourselves, they harm others, and they harm God. And that is a reality that we need to recognize. That sin turns peace into chaos. It was wrong for Israel to pay, play favoritism with his children. To treat one child better than others. To give one child special things. The brothers, believe it or not, had a right to feel offended. I mean, if you think about it, right? Did the brothers have a right to feel offended? Yes! Absolutely they did. So is offense something that is always inherently wrong? 
I don't think so. Oftentimes, I would actually say that a lot of people have good reasons to feel offended. You have probably have a list of offenses in your life that you have really good reasons to feel offended. Trust me, it's not a great thing when you get cut off on the road and you have little kids in the back of your car. I'm offended in moments like that and I have good reasons to be. And look, I know some of you probably have stories that are much bigger than not getting the appropriate size water cup at a movie theater. (laughs) But all of us have reasons to feel offended in life. But how did the brothers respond to this offense? That's the big question that we need to consider, is how did the brothers respond to their offense that they experienced? Because here's the thing. I believe that unchecked offense leads to resentment. And resentment leads to anger and hatred, which are all signs of an unforgiving heart. I think this is why the Apostle John, trying to write a letter of encouragement to the church, wrote in 1 John 3, through uh, 14 through 18, that we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. He then goes on to say, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderers have eternal life residing in them. And what John is trying to communicate here in my belief is that Jesus brought forgiveness into this world for us. He brought love into this world for us. He brought the answer into this world for us, for us to be able to deal with all of these negative, chaotic, chaos-driven sin that we experience so that we could be the answer to others in peace. But how could we be the solution if amongst ourselves, with our brothers and sisters, we can't even get along? What kind of testimony does that share? I'm so thankful for many of you because you're patient with I'm oftentimes reminded and will do my best to remind others, I'm going to fail you at some point. I'm going to say something that I shouldn't have said. I'm going to do something that I shouldn't have done. I'm going to be somebody who at times God has not called me to be. And sometimes I might do that unknowingly, and sometimes I might do that knowingly. And that's a shame on me. That's still something that God needs to work on, and and he is working on in me. But I've told this to many people, that I don't have a close relationship with anybody that I haven't wanted to strangle at some point. (laughs) And think about it, right? Who in your life are you deeply close to that you wanted, you haven't at some point, and don't worry, I know we're a Mennonite church, but I'll say it, haven't wanted to punch. <laughs> and you think about that turning the other cheek because we hurt each other, folks. 
If you come to this church and are expecting to never at some point be offended by something that somebody has said, well, let me put you at ease. It's going to happen. You're going to do it to somebody here. Somebody here is going to do it to you. It's why when I hear people say things like, I don't go to the church because the church let me down on yada, yada, yada reason. I think to myself, okay, there are times where, yes, those, there's extreme examples. But sometimes it's just called life. And we live in a very fallen and broken world where people are handing out offenses left and right. And here's the thing. Sometimes we have really good reasons to say this was an offense and this was wrong. Because why? Because all offenses are some form of injustice in life, if you think about it, right? Every single offense has to do with a violation of what we consider to be good and right. And that's why I think it's so hard for us. Because we struggle with dealing with people who don't see what might be obvious to us. And especially if we feel like we're on the receiving end of the offense, it's very obvious to us the injustice that happened. But very seldomly do I think we respond to offense and injustice in healthy ways. I like this quote from C.S. Lewis, and I don't have it on the screen, unfortunately, but it comes from the book, The Screwtape Letters. It's a book that I love, and if you've never read it before, I encourage you to do so. And he's, he's speaking like, as if he were a demon himself, and he says this, He who has not forgiven an enemy has never yet tasted one of the most sublime enjoyments of life. And what he's saying there is, is that people who do not forgive, people who harbor onto offense, are, ex- are missing out on what Satan has for them. Why? Because the people who hold on to offense and the people who take that offense and store it up inside of them will lead to roads of unforgiveness, hatred, resentment, and anger. And if you look at your life, there is probably something that you have held on to, something that still crushes you when you think about it. I know I have my list but we need to be people who can deal with that in healthy ways. I'm not saying that you just ostracize yourself from the world, but rather we need to be able to handle the offenses that we deal with. It still blows my mind that while Jesus was up on the cross and people were hurling insults, to him, while people were offending him and offending him in a, a very, very unjust way, that Jesus had the posture to say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Do you have that kind of disposition? I don't. I'm trying to. I'm trying to, but I'm not there yet. There are times where I've seen my success in that, but there's also plenty of times where I've seen my own failure with it. If you want to be a person of peace, then guess what? Then you need to be able to deal with the offenses that come. We all do, and it's really hard.
What I'm calling us to do in this series, church, make no mistake, it's not easy. This is not an easy series to get through. But it might just be one of the most worthwhile if we take the time to actually think and apply this. So what happened with Joseph's brothers? What did they do when they, dealt, when they were dealt this offense in their lives? Did they go to the Lord? Did they immediately start praying on behalf of Joseph and his father for the Holy Spirit to be able to convict Israel to see the error of his ways? Or what? It says in Scripture very plainly that they grew in resentment from, uh, because of him. It says again in verse 4 that they hated him, which just proves the point even more that unchecked offense will eventually lead to hatred of others. So they would not even speak a kind word to Joseph, and they grew in hatred towards Joseph off of that offense. I think they should have prayed for him. I think maybe they should have had a family meeting. Whatever they should have done shouldn't have been what happened. But unfortunately, the, th- the truth is, is that many of us, we do exactly the same thing. We don't do anything with our offense other than allowing it to become a license for us to be mean. Think about that. We need to be careful to not allow our offenses to turn into our own forms of evil. Because we all have been, are presently, and will be victims at some point of some injustice in our lives. I like this quote from John Bevere. He says this, There is a false sense of self-protection in harboring an offense. It keeps you from seeing your own character flaws because the blame is deferred to another. Wow. Wow. When we allow ourselves to overly focus on the offense, I think John right here is touching on exactly why we become oftentimes the things that we resent and hate because we're so focused on the other individual that we don't take time to even see ourselves. Church, I know I'm stepping on all our toes. Trust me, mine are about gone by this Sunday. (laughs) But I love you enough to speak this into your life. Because I want to grow in this as well. So we need to to press in because this is how we get to better areas in life. Amen? It's why I believe Solomon, who is known for his wisdom, tells us in Proverbs 4.23 that above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. You see, the brothers were trapping themselves in a net of hatred without even realizing it. 
they thought that they had good reason to feel offended, and they did, but they applied that offense in all the wrong ways. So what do you think happens next? Let's keep reading. In verse 5, it says this, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Why do you think that's happening? Because Joseph is trying to do something good, trying to share something that he's excited about, and the brothers go, oh great, here comes Mr. Perfect, here comes the, the, the cream of the crop for dad, the one that doesn't have to do as much as us because he's always favored. And the scripture says that they grew in hatred towards him. Was it Joseph's fault that he was favored? Absolutely not. It was his father's fault. But his brothers misapplied that hatred towards their poor little brother instead of dealing with that in a positive way in his family. So Joseph goes and says to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered uh, gathered around mine and bowed down to it. (laughs) I still wonder while reading this, why did you say that, buddy? And it kind of brings the theological question out, right? It seems like God gave Joseph this dream, but I don't know if God wanted Joseph to share this dream just yet. (laughs) So this dream touches on the very nerves of offense that all the brothers are dealing with, right? So as you can imagine, his brothers in verse 8 reply to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Because they understood what the dream meant. And they hated him all the more. So what's happening here? Hatred is compounding. It's growing exponentially in their hearts because of his dream and what he said. So a dream from God turns into a blessing of a a child young, right? Turns into the sin of favoritism. Then a dream of something that would later rescue his brothers, which he does not yet know, turns into what? The sin of hatred. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember my mom specifically while growing up saying I wasn't allowed to hate things. If I would go and say, I hate broccoli or, you know, something like that. Now, son, hate is a strong word. Don't use those words. Try saying you do not like. I dislike passionately with every fiber in my body broccoli. (laughs) And then me being the you know, future apologists would say, well, can I hate the devil at least? (laughs) Without realizing it, though, I think my mom was teaching me something important there. We need to be careful with what we allow in our hearts, don't we, church? Because things can grow like weeds. And what would sadly happen to his brothers 
into this whole entire situation will come next week. So we're going to get a little bit further there next week. But I want to drive home this point about sin and chaos and offense. That we need to be careful, church, with how we deal the hurt, with the hurts that we experience in life. I wrote for you a little poem, and now you've received it two weeks in a row because I was supposed to do it last week. So maybe you've read this already, but I want to read it to you. Now, after writing this poem, I sent it to a few of my friends and family members, and something interesting happened as I got feedback. I basically sent it out and said, what does this mean to you? And I got several replies from people that said, did you write this about me? They were genuinely concerned. And I remember one individual, I said, uh, yes. And, and then I typed really quickly, no, I mean no. <laughs> I, re- I wrote this for you, but not uh, thinking of you, you know. Because I think, at least in my intent, was to touch on something that we all deal, deal with. So I'd like to read this to you today, this poem I wrote. There once was a man afraid of the world, scars on his back, a story untold. Aching from baggage too hard to bear, he planted each hurt in painful despair. Brick upon brick of anger and tears, yearning for each to just disappear. He picked up another hoping to stop, but realized there lay too many to stop. A brick for the time when someone was cruel. A brick for the time his hatred was fueled. Bricks stacked high for all in his mind, storing each memory of someone unkind. Bricks surrounded the man so high, becoming a fortress weighted by pride. No one would get in to hurt him anymore. A fortress built by all the pain he bore. But now the man was all alone, a life of loneliness for the unattainable. A wall of reminders sworn to keep out, a hideout of hurt, no one in, no one out. Hopefully you saw something in this poem and maybe you saw something of yourself. But church, here's a belief that I have. I believe that when we take offenses and we hold on to them, that without realizing it, we build our own walls. And we do this because we're trying to prevent hurt from coming our way again. But oftentimes what happens is these walls get so high, and they surround us so much, and even though we have good reasons to feel like we need to build this wall, that what ends up happening is, is we end up not only blocking the world around us, but we block ourselves out of the world around us. And without realizing it, we soon feel a loneliness as a result that we never intended to experience in our hurt and in the walls that we build. 
My prayer for us through this series that starts now and will carry on for these upcoming weeks is that we would journey through this together and that by the end of this series that we will learn how to deal with offense even better. That we will develop the right tools to be able to live in as people of peace. Because here's the truth. If you figure this out for yourself, you have the medicine that the world is looking for right now. And I want to have that medicine. And I want to feel like I can give that medicine out freely. Amen? But it takes some honesty. Here's another thing I'd like to encourage you to do is to take time to invite people to this. I have a feeling that throughout this, even this message alone, some of you have thought, oh, I wish this person was here. Or I know this person who would really benefit from what Pastor Kevin's saying right now. Use that prompting in your mind to invite that individual. Because I think more, if this is truly the problem of our age, which I believe it's one of them, then there are plenty of people that need to learn how to find peace in a world of offense. Let's pray.